Max Hall and Melbourne Football Club, you're listening to the Coaches Panel. This is Nat Fife from the Fremantle Footy Club. Trent Cochin from the Richmond Footy Club. Scott Penderbury from the Collingwood Football Club. You're listening to the Coaches Panel. Patrick Cooch from the Carlton Footy Club. It's Rory Sloan here from the Adelaide Crows. This is Tom Mitchell. You're listening to the Coaches Panel. Is Elijah Sardis the player that's going to define your fantasy footy season as a value mid-forward? Or is he just going to be a guy that gets you to another guy? Hey, it's MJ from the Coaches Panel. I hope you're well and welcome back to another episode of the 50 Most Relevant, talking about Elijah Sardis on this episode in the 50 Most Relevant. And joining me on this episode to discuss him, he's a regular part of the Coaches Panel. You hear him often in the pre-season, bit of a 50 Most Relevant specialist, does a lot of the draft stuff for us. Long-time Coaches Panel, know who I'm alluding to. The fellow crow of the coaches panel. It's Jordox. Hello, mate. How are you? Very well, MJ. Happy New Year. Fantastic to be on as we uh, embark on a season like no other in fantasy history. It's going to be a different year. The good news is if you're watching or listening to this episode right throughout the preseason, we've got you covered, not just with these daily player breakdowns where we're putting people in a relevancy order. It's not just a randomized player profile listing. It is me saying this player is more relevant than the player yesterday and the player tomorrow is more relevant than this one. It's subjective, so it's fine. You don't have to agree with me, but there'll be plenty of strategy content that is going to throw from the coaches panel in your general direction this preseason. Let's dive into Elijah's 2023. Uh, Not a lot of footy for us last year. It's meant that he's priced with a little bit of a discount based on what he was delivering for us in his four AFL games. He averaged 55 last year in Supercoach with a career high score of 77. It was his first year of AFL, so Seasonal highs are career highs, while in AFL Fantasy, a seasonal average of 64.2, giving you a career high score in one of these four games of 86. He's going to set you back just under $250,000 in Supercoach, $474,400 in DT, and just a touch over four hundred seventy five grand in AFL Fantasy. Jordox, Elijah was one of those players that, really came into his draft year and ultimately now Essendon fans probably have the greatest excitement around him. They came into the draft at the end of 2022 with high excitement because although they've got plenty of guys that can roll through the midfield, they probably don't have someone with his kind of skill set that he has. A guy that can win clearances, an incredibly fast football at really quick, not just in terms of how he moves the ball by hand and by foot, but literally with the wheels he has. He's got high footy IQ. He's an inside and an outside midfielder by trade. And I think that's one of the things that Essendon fans loved about him. And in time, whether it's this year or not, we'll discuss through the episode, but in time, he'll be a really valuable piece to this Essendon rebuilding midfield. He sure will, and Essendon fans will feel a, a touch ripped off that that he did have that long-term injury so soon after landing at the Bombers. And, you know, for all the fantasy fans, except for Essendon fans, I think we're all hoping that Essendon would just hold off on debuting him because the fact that he played that handful of games means that now we've got a real question over whether we start him or not. Because if he hadn't, and he was at rookie price, it wouldn't even be a conversation. He'd be in your squad. 
Yeah, not only that, he'd be much higher in the 50 most relevant. In Supercoach, he's really quite close to it. It's about 50K gap between him and Harley Reid, and they do have the same positional status, so it's close enough in that format, whereas Dream Team and Supercoach, as you've highlighted, those handful of games does mean he's he's ballooned out in price a little bit. There was that knee injury that Jordox has alluded to that really did stunt his preseason injured pretty much this sort of time last year. And then the club, rightly so, took the cautious approach to bringing him back. He did play seven games of VFL before he made his AFL debut. Averaged 25 disposals, a handful of marks and tackles, multiple 30-plus games, and across Supercoach, AFL Fantasy, and Dream Team. Tons in multiple of these games, which is really encouraging because he's not just a guy that as a junior was delivering up fantasy scores and fantasy tons and racking up the pill at will. You go through some of those under 18 games, like he is up there with Nick Dacos, Will Ashcroft, styles of volume of football. So he knows how to find it. So the positive of seeing seven games in the VFL, playing against men, him winning clearances, him bursting away, creating separation in the midfield, equally as important, was good to see that. Then the four games at AFL level last year, that average of 64 in AF and DT, 55 in Supercoach, no vest affected games, which is really positive. There's a couple of games that was one, he didn't even get a centre bounce, a couple, he's got basically one a quarter, but really Jordox. The thing that's probably got people excited in the fantasy community was that matchup against North Melbourne. While he didn't get an, a plethora of midfield time, when he did, he showed us that his scoring rate from a fantasy perspective and his impact on the contest can be really high. Yeah, he actually kicked his first goal in the last quarter to put the Bombers in front too. So the kid knows the moments well, that's for sure. Um, in terms of his CBAs and and across the four games, like you said, it wasn't a huge amount, but this was the game where he had his biggest look at the coalface. And he had 31% of the CBAs in this game, which coincided with his best score, which was um, 86 in AF and DT. And Supercoach was, what was his uh, 71 was the season high score. Yep, yep. Uh, so the only thing, though, looking forward to this year so if we're looking ahead to future years, this is all very exciting for, for Bombers fans. Absolutely. For this year, though, the thing that I took out of that game against North that struck out to me was the players that were missing. So Dylan Shield wasn't playing that day. Where he's at, he's I don't really know if he has another role other than in the midfield for Shield. The other one was Setterfield, and he was quite a popular guy, especially in the fantasy world had that great start and then was out for a long time with injury. So there's a lot of question marks about where does he sit in, in the best 22 and whether or not if it's in the best 22, it's at the centre bounces. And then the other player, and this is someone I'm really intrigued by for this year, is Jai Caldwell. So he's a few years into his career now and he's probably at that point where this is the time where we're going to find out, is he going to be a pure on-baller or is he going to be more of a guy that just pops in and out as he has sporadically throughout the year? So Shield, Setterfield and Caldwell were missing in that game. And we saw Sardis have a good look at the inside mid. We saw Archie Perkins get some centre bounces as well. So I think in that game, they were just having a bit of a look. I think they liked what they saw. 
but I'm just not too sure that's going to be the Essendon midfield we see in 2024. And I think that's really the key for us, isn't it? Is we've got one sample size of game at the AFL level, which again, we will take one game of data as opposed to none heading into a new year. That game, 22 possessions, seven of those contested, 15 uncontested. Going at a disposal efficiency of 69, seven score involvements. That goal that Jordox has alluded to, four, mac- uh, four marks, four clearances, three tackles, two inside 50s and a rebound 50. But as you've so rightly put, there's probably two key variables that ultimately determine the destiny of Elijah Sardis. There's more than that, but there's two that we want to focus on a little bit. One is around that centre bounce position. The other is about the scarcity of forwards. If you've been listening through the 50 most relevant through this period of time, if you haven't picked up on the subtle hint, let me lay it on uber thick for you. We've had Billings, we've had Fisher, we've now got Sardis, we had Connor McDonald right at the start. Here's what we're trying to lay on really thick. 2024 has to be treated differently than 2023. 2023 was the year of getting premium forwards into your side, stacking it deep, and then rolling maybe a cow or two. And it was the Goulden, Taranto, Dunkley, Butters, Rosie, Canelio. Pretty much if you had any four or five of them in your starting squad, you're away. In 2024, I think if we're really honest with ourselves, even the guy you've got at F1, if you just scratch the surface a little bit, you probably could be swayed relatively easily to change that player, to change that structure. And so, Jordux, I think that's one of the exciting things that this season holds for us is not only with opening round, not only with best 18, we can't just apply ideologies and strategies from 2023 and just believe that they will stick in 2024. It does require a new way of playing the game. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. It does. And it's, if I'm honest, MJ, it's fantastic. You know, for the listeners who have been playing for, you know, over a decade, um, you know, many, many, many years ago, the forward line in your dream team used to be, uh, crazily enough, forwards. I remember the days of, picking Jonathan Brown and, you know, Buddy Franklin in his earlier days. Nick Rewald. Yeah. I, used, I used to get Brett Burton every year <laughs> just as a cry. Anyway, the point is, these days, the art of the forward line in fantasy is, is identifying a player who has always played forward and is now getting his chance to play midfield. And the ability to... I love the fact that we have the ability to look at players like Sardis, look at a Connor McDonald, uh, you know, obviously Jack Billings, we know his name well. But last this time last year, you just couldn't because there was no room for them. We were absolutely beyond blessed with the Cornelios and the Gouldens and the Butters and the Rosie. I mean, you, you rattled them off before. Taranto, it was just ludicrous. So this year, 
we're back to how it used to be. You've got to find a forward who was a forward who might be playing more midfield and therefore their fantasy points open up. And that's the beauty of looking at someone like Sardis. I think it's probably far too early in his career, but this is the exact sort of guy you're going to look for in future years that will have the forward status, be reasonably priced, and then become a midfielder in reality and give you the fantasy scores that we love. And there's no better feeling than when you pick a player from the pack and he explodes, particularly when no one else is onto it. And so someone, I think every, everyone's got the opportunity to do that this year. There are so many guys that in previous years you would look at and think, well, maybe in draft yeah. because I've got, to, I've got to get the big dogs. No, no, this is the year to have fun. Yeah, you. this creates options and, and pathways and avenues. Yeah, sure, have the McCrays, have the Moors, have the Flanders, whoever you want at F1, F2, F3, absolutely do that. But success is going to come from what you do in this spot through the forward lines. I'm, I'm really excited to see how people structure up and the strategies they play around it. We've seen one game of him in the midfield last year. How does the Essendon midfield look like from a mids perspective? 81% was Darcy Parrish. Mid-70s was Zach Merritt. Then drops down a little bit. Setterfield, when he was playing and not injured, 62%. You mentioned Dylan Shield before. He was at 46%. Then they've got like another five or six guys that would roll through there last year of 40% and under. Stringer, Hobbs, Caldwell, who you alluded to before, Perkins and Elijah, who had just the one game of 20% or more centre bounces. The good thing is this. If we're looking at the potential pathways to selecting Elijah, will he score enough at a half-forward wing role to probably justify his selection in our teams at round one and to hold him through? You don't get a, a look and see at him in opening round. His Essendon are not a part of opening round. So you is he going to score enough in the wing and half-forward? I don't think so. I, I think you're going to be looking for some other elements. Supercoach might have a little bit of a different caveat where he's priced within 50K of basically a cash cow of Harley Reid. So a little bit different. That's the beautiful thing with the formats. But for me, that's what you want to watch early in this preseason. The press conferences, the practice matches, intra-club, of course, he's going to be inside mid. They're playing against themselves. They've got to be able to play him through there. The preseason matches, looking at all the data points that you can extract, because just because he didn't have a centre bounce role last year, doesn't mean he won't this year. But He's a second-year player getting his first full preseason. They've got a long, trusted investment of what they he will be for them. But that entire mix of players I just listed through Jordox, it's fascinating to me. You can be in a really compelling argument that no, it's going to be Parish, you know, Parish, Satterfield, Merritt as the top three, and then it'll be Hobbs a little bit, Shield a little bit, and that's it. You could build that really compelling narrative. Equally, you could go. Stringer's always offered something when he's played through there. He needs to go there. Hobbs needs to get higher. Settlefield doesn't help them anymore. Merritt could be deployed off the other parts of the ground and his skill mm. and footy IQ. And, and so this is the great thing about Elijah and what this Essendon midfield does for us is ultimately they'll determine and direct each other. I think Setterfield's the real interesting one. If he's playing, I think he takes up a lot of that 
those CBAs. The other thing too is Essendon, I think, fancy themselves as being closer to the top than the bottom. So the, the chances of all the kids getting a run is, is probably not likely. But the thing with um, Sardis is, you know, you could just put him in for now. He's, he's at a reasonable price that you can mm. pivot as the preseason goes on. For me to start someone like that, I, I'd have to see a lot from this point to round one in terms of preseason games and, you know, talk of what they're going to do with him. Because I, I think you're right. I think he's going to spend, you know, his formative years learning off a flank like most do. But when he gets his go, he's going to be a great player. Just won't be, in my opinion, in our fantasy teams this year. Yeah. And so that's the beauty of the preseason. Watch, observe, and apply those learnings. And if you have a, a presumption that he will or won't have midfield time, that's okay. That's the beauty of this time of the preseason. Have your ideas, have your plans, have your thought processes. And then as information comes to light, adjust that. Swallow your pride if you're right and just be like, yep, I got that one right. Happy days. Uh, and then if you happen to be off the mark a little bit, don't be so stubborn to double down on your approach. If if, if Sardis is clearly getting 35 40% center bounce through these preseason, you hear Scott talking a lot about as the coach, we want him in there. We need to develop him and Hobbs. We need to develop the future of our midfield. Well, all of a sudden, okay, now Elijah at his price point in a line where we don't love the top end of forwards, now getting midfield time, getting 25, 30 points per game of value of what he's priced at, not just what he's shown he can score at, at juniors, at VFL, and albeit one real game, at AFL level, we know there's scoring pedigree within him, but if he can get us to a nice run through, he's got those no early buy interruptions, happy days. Equally, if you get tricked and trapped early in the preseason and he doesn't have that midfield role, but you're bullish on him, you're starting, it doesn't work, he's priced, at least in Supercoach, get the cow you missed. In AF and DT, who's the guy that's within 50 to 100K up or down that is breaking out, that is flying along, go and get those guys. It's rare that a player hits premium territory in their second year. Like in 2011, as a mid-forward, it was Nat Fife. Jackson McRae did it in 2014. Zach Merritt, Bont, Tim Kelly as a mature ager, Tim Taranto, um, Clayton Oliver, Nick Dacos last year. It's rare, and he doesn't, I suppose, he doesn't have to do that him to be a value pick that pays off but it is on the rarer than normative side jordox that second year players really elevate themselves to a really high standing in the game and and he's a second year player but in many respects he is still well he's a second year player but the those players you just rattled off all of them would have played about 20 games maybe in their first season this kid he had a taste in the VFL and then an even smaller taste in the AFL. It's it's going to feel in many ways like his first season, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. So if you don't know what you're doing in the forward line and you're like, I just want to get a look and see, Elijah's this perfect guy. We talked with Louis just the other day around Jai Simpkin about this guy. You go, you know what? He's priced at this spot where it's like, if you, you don't feel like you're married to it if it doesn't work out. And Elijah's probably in that spot in a couple of the formats too. So if it doesn't work, 
You pivot, you adjust, you move on. A lot of people are going to spend a lot of early trades I can forecast inside the forward line because of mistakes, corrections, new information that have come. That's absolutely okay. If you're just looking for a placeholder forward that's got a trajectory to midfield, Elijah is your guy. If you're not happy with the forward at the top end and you're just looking for 20, 30, maybe 40 points, and that's probably right at his top end of based on what he's priced at to what he can deliver, Elijah's your guy. But if their midfield time isn't forthcoming, you might need to fade your interest and look elsewhere. But in a line that really is creating some structural and strategic headaches for people, Elijah, at very least, has got to be someone you consider this preseason. Before we wrap up this episode, let's look at where he goes on draft day. The draft headaches are even worse in the forward lines because, yeah, one person gets a Jack McRae. One person gets a Sam Flanders, not hundreds and thousands of people get to pick them. So Just pause, just pause it, MJ. Listen yeah. to what you just said. Imagine you were saying this 12 months ago. With the forward line we had in 2023, Jack McRae into Sam Flanders, and that's, that's not throwing shade at Flanders. He's going to be great, but that is, is in a nutshell what you just said. It sums up the year. So there's a couple of ideologies of how people want to target forwards and what they want to do on draft day. There's some that are going to run in with a if I don't get a gun in the first, and I use that term loosely, by the way, if I don't get a top end forward in my first pick or two. I'm just fading right through to the end. Others are going, nah, it's the mids and the rucks, a couple of really good premium defenders. I want them and I don't care about forwards. So depending on your strategic bias will ultimately determine how you go. That said, Sardis is the kind of guy in that mid half to late third of the draft when you're picking your F4s and F5s and maybe even F3s if you've gone heavy in other positions. He's the kind of guy I'd be looking at on draft day going, can I get some upside here? Keep lead coaches that own him might have a little bit of confirmation bias and jump extra early because they know what he can be. But to me, it feels like he could probably deliver F3, maybe even F2 numbers if a lot goes his way and the scoring stays as low as we forecast. Equally, he might just be somebody that sits as your emergency and dobs out the odd 70s for you and gets stuck in a 60s average. Where do you feel comfortable taking a larger on draft day? Yeah, look, I won't be I won't be looking for him early, that's for sure. <laughs> I think I think you've summarized it pretty well. Uh, I reckon, you know, he'd be a fun one to have a go at, but wouldn't be anywhere earlier than that sort of yeah, F5, F6, and maybe even rounding out your bench. Maybe that's a little bit of disrespect for the young fella, but maybe. Um yeah, we'll wait and see. We'll, we'll wait and see. There's no, no pricing in draft. So No, and yeah, the beauty is maybe you handcuff him with a couple of those other forward eligible Essendons as well. And you go, okay, is it going to be Sardis? Is it going to be, I know, Hobbs is midfield eligible. Is it going to be Caldwell? I'll, I'll package these guys up and handcuff them as a strategy and go, right, one of them should pop. And I'll have the one that does and then farm out the others. So always depends on the timing of draft, how many on field, how many coaches, all of those variables ultimately decide a lot. But for me, keeper leagues, I'd have Elijah really high. I think he's going to be an absolute superstar of the competition for us, whether or not it's in 2024 or not. 
We will just need a few games and matches of football to be able to tell us. Hey, John Ox, it's been great to have you back on the podcast. Looking forward to having you around in 2024. Looking forward to it, mate. Good to see you. If you want to go and read the article on Elijah, it is available now for you at coachespanel.tv. Every single podcast and video episode we've done of the 50 most relevant is available on whatever platform you're checking this episode out. You can go and get it right there. Make sure you're followed and subscribed to the channel on those platforms so that as soon as new episodes come, you get notified straight to your device. That way you don't have to wait, worry, and think about what's happening next. If you want to get a bit of a sneak peek about who's tomorrow, hang on with me for 30 more seconds. I've got a little clue to tell you about who it is. But if you want to get a bunch of different ways to support the coaches panel, there's additional rewards, extra podcasts, extra articles, hidden group access, extra competitions, and a bunch of other fun stuff, let alone the opportunity to support the coaches panel. All the details to join our Patreon supporter group, as well as follow us on social media, can be found in the description of this episode. So who's tomorrow in the 50 most relevant? 12 months ago, he was a guy that I had strongly considered to be the number one most relevant player on my 50 most relevant. I didn't put him there but he was strongly considered. There were some pretty good reasons for it. All the narrative led to him finally having his opportunity. And you know what? He delivered game upon game upon game upon game for us last year. But entering into a new year, despite how magnificent he was for us last year, I haven't heard anybody mention him. And yet there were times that this guy was unstoppable and was one of the safest captaincy guys going around. But I haven't seen him in any team reveals. I haven't heard anybody speak about him once. Tomorrow, we will correct that. Find out tomorrow who he is in the 50 Most Relevant. Yeah.